Thanks, Rob. I, uh, with the sunlight, I'm not sure that an iPad is going to work too well, so I brought my low-tech papers as well. You didn't miss anything. like to, uh, again, welcome everybody, everybody that's here, everybody that's listening in or watching on YouTube this morning. Special welcome to any visitors that are here. One of the great things about Camden in the summer is we get visitors. I remember being one of those visitors a long time ago. Um, I do have, I guess, some good news and bad news if you are visiting here. And the good news is, of course, you're in the house of the Lord. And, and also, we have a very gifted pastor in our church. The bad news is, it's not me. As uh, Dan said, he's on vacation, so it's up to the rest of us to carry on as best we can. And I think in that regard, we best go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help first. So please join me. Lord, thank You for this beautiful morning. Thank You for that we can gather, Lord. Thank You that even in these crazy times in which we are currently living, that we still can gather to worship You, Lord. So we're here. We're here physically in this place, and we're here online, Lord, and uh, we come in repentance, first of all. We come in confession that we are not worthy of You. We come in thanksgiving for all You have done for us, only through Your grace. And we come, Lord, to hear Your voice. Lord, I pray that You would use me as Your mouthpiece this morning. I can do nothing without You, Lord, and I pray that my words would not be my words, but Your words, Lord, and that Your words would... Come into our hearts and we take them with us as we leave here today and as we go through our week. For you have made so many promises to us for which we thank you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask all of you to take part in a little mental exercise this morning. So I hope you've had your coffee. Um, I'd like you to think back to when times were normal. And of course, normal is a relative term, right? But I guess I'll define it in this case as pre-2020. Pre-2020, and for that matter, going back as long as you can remember in the rest of your life, and you think about this time of year, summer, in so-called normal times, a lot of things used to happen in summer that aren't happening this year. One of the things that happened is that kids went off to camp. I remember going off to Boy Scout or Girl Scout camp, maybe a Bible camp or maybe a different kind of a venue. Kids used to go off to camp, and many of us did. And it's also the time of year when college students get ready to go off to college, some of them for the first time. And uh, I remember that even though it was a million years ago, for me, 1972 to be exact, going off to college at the age of 17. But whether it was going off to camp or going to college for the first time, or maybe it didn't happen for you until later in life when you, as an adult, you had to move from the home you've always known. If you go back, think about the time that you remember the first time that you were away from the home that you knew for an extended period of time. And whether it was camp or college or something else, one thing is consistent, I think. You might have been in a place that was very stimulating. You were in a place you weren't used to, so you're having new experiences, and it was exciting. And you might have been meeting new people you'd never met, and that was fun. And it might even have been in a beautiful place. Well, if you went to school where I did, that wasn't the case. But regardless of how the experience might have been in the, in the, uh, in, in the daytime, 
when the evening rolled around and you settled into bed, you found that you didn't really settle in too easily. You know, you had that kind of nagging, gnawing feeling that it was difficult to put your finger on, but something seemed amiss. And even as a 17-year-old away at school, maybe in the deepest part of your soul, you had to admit you actually missed your parents. But you missed your parents, you missed your friends, you missed your brothers and sisters, you missed the home that you were used to, you missed familiar things. So again, even though you might have been in a stimulating place and having a good time, something didn't quite seem right. Now I'd like to ask you another question. If you think back again over your life, even as an adult, through this day, have you ever had a moment, even a moment, when you can honestly say you felt 100% content? 100%. Now, we know that we have a lot of happy moments that we've been blessed with in this life. But we also know that happiness comes from the same root word that happenstance comes from. And happiness is based on circumstances. And circumstances change continually. So if you think back in life to maybe the best moments you had, maybe it was when one of your children was born, maybe it was your wedding day, or maybe it was just a special vacation you'd always look forward to your whole life, and you finally got to that place you'd always wanted to go, and you're sitting there surrounded by the people that you love in a beautiful place, and you go, ha, ah, this is the way life was supposed to be, right? But the problem is, I bet it didn't last. Because maybe in days, maybe in hours, or if you're wired the way the Lord wired me, it probably happened in seconds. So all of a sudden, all the stuff of life starts to come in on you. All the baggage that drags us down, you know, it might be a job problem, or it might be a concern over a health issue with a loved one, or it might be a broken relationship. Whatever it is, all the stuff that we carry around, it starts to come in on you, and it starts to drag you down. And that that moment of happiness doesn't last. We're not content. We never seem to be completely content. And you know, for many years I asked myself why that was. And I had come to the conclusion some years ago that it was just my sin nature. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm a sinful being. We all are. I've never appreciated everything that God has blessed me with. And I'm always looking for the next thing. And particularly here in the Western culture, I think we are guilty of that because we are blessed with so much materially. We live like kings compared to much of the world, and we don't appreciate it. But I've also come to know that there's more to it than that. It's not simply that. If we go into God's Word and we go back to the book of Ecclesiastes, and we listen to the man who probably had more reason to be satisfied with this life than anyone who ever lived, Solomon who had incredible wealth. And if you dig into his word, the Lord's word, and, you, and there's a lot of detail in there as to what Solomon had. He had unbelievable uh, wealth. He, the gold, the riches, the palaces that he lived in. I think if you could somehow convert the economies of that time to the economies of today, that Bill Gates would probably be a little bit envious of Solomon and all that he had. And he not only had material wealth, but he had incredible experiences. And in Ecclesiastes 2, he talks about how he never denied himself anything in life. Everything he wanted, if he wanted something, he went and got it. 
If he wanted to experience something, he went and did it. He did it all. He had a thousand wives, so I guess he didn't deny himself of anything. And he also had incredible wisdom. He was the wisest man of his time, maybe the wisest man of all time. And despite all of that, at the end of his life, as he tells us in Ecclesiastes, he found he came up empty. He came up empty. And he thought, well, if this guy was empty with the things that this world can provide, I guess it's no surprise that we are all are as well. Now, fortunately, in the very next book, Ecclesiastes 3.11 to be exact, he gives us a hint about why this is. And he said, he, meaning God, has put eternity in our hearts. Or put another way, God has made us for His eternal purposes. Nothing in this life can bring us satisfaction because we're not meant for this life. We're meant for the one to come. As Adam is fond of saying, I've heard him say many times, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And it isn't. It isn't the way it's supposed to be. As wonderful as this life is in so many ways, this wasn't what God planned. God created this unbelievable paradise for us to live in. And He put us in it. But we messed it up, didn't we? He gave us free will because without the free will, our love for Him would have been meaningless. But with that free will came the opportunity to let sin in the door and we did it. We fell to temptation. We let sin in the door and since then the world has been a mess. And we look around us and that's what we see. A world that is ruled by Satan rather than in close fellowship with God. Remember God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. He was there with them. That's what He intended for us. But the world's now booby-trapped. Because sin runs this world, it will always fall short of fulfilling us. Hebrews 11.13 said, We are strangers and exiles on this earth. Have you ever felt that way? I have probably made statements to that effect to my wife multiple occasions, particularly in the last several months, when I said, you know, I feel like I'm on a foreign planet somewhere sometimes. C.S. Lewis put it another way in his book, Mere Christianity. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. Examples, a baby hungers, there's such a thing as food. A duck wants to swim, there's such a thing as water. People have sexual desires. Well, I won't go there. But then he goes on to say, if I find myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This is homesickness. So even though it's hard to believe that we could be homesick for a place we've never known, we're homesick. Every one of us. We're homesick for our real home. And you know what? That's a good thing. It's a very good thing because our home that we're headed for is an incredibly better place than where we currently live. You know, we've all been to funerals. Too many sometimes, it seems lately, but we've all been to funerals and we've heard after the service is over when people were kind of milling about, we heard the words, which have almost become a cliché, sometimes mumbled, well, he or she is in a better place. We hear that all the time. And tragically, if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, they are not in a better place. But what I find interesting is 
even amongst Christians. And even when the person who's just passed, we know without a doubt, knew the Lord as their Lord and Savior. I hear those words uttered by Christians, he's in a better place, kind of half-heartedly. And I wonder how much we really believe that. Because, amazing as it is, heaven has a very bad public image. It has a bad public image. If you ask the average person on the street, even the average Christian, I dare say, what do you think heaven is like? And you often hear some kind of half-hearted answers. You know, well, God lives there and it's a place of holiness and it's certainly better than the other place, right? But I hear a lot, a lack of enthusiasm in a lot of folks' voices. Now, to a certain extent, that's understandable because it's not a place we know. We know this place. But we have these crazy images of heaven that somehow have crept into the culture. I don't know when it started, probably long, long ago. And I think back to the 1970s when I was growing up, and those of you who are my age or older can probably remember a song by Billy Joel. It was a big hit called uh, Only the Good Die Young. <laughs> and there are lines in that song that go like this. They say there's a heaven for those who wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. <laughs> and I think that's the perception of a lot of folks. Heaven's probably a pretty boring place. And Billy, not to pick on him, because tragically, like millions of others, I believe, he believed, or I hope maybe 40 years later he's, he's found the truth, but at least at the time he wrote that song, he thought that heaven was a pretty boring place to be. And... He also equated fun with sin. And yet, who created fun? Or God created fun? I remember another song from that same era. The, the, remember the rock band Three Dog Night? This is my favorite. They had a line in one of their songs that said, I've never been to heaven, but I've been to Oklahoma. And I thought, talk about lowered expectations. Mm. But we've got this crazy idea that, oh, you know, we're going to leave this earth that we love and we're going to go somewhere where it's, you know, we're going to worship God. We're probably going to have 24-7 Sunday school. And uh, when we're checking in, they'll give us our schedule, which will have beginner's harp lessons on it. Um, that's not what it's going to be like, folks. Do we really believe that the same God who created everything around us that we love, every all this beauty, every experience we have ever had, that we have cherished, but that same God is going to then create for us an eternity of boredom? That is an absurd notion. We should be excited about where we're going. Now, I'm not about to delve into a uh, comprehensive analysis of the book of Revelation. I'm sure you're glad to hear that. That would take a sermon series. And I'll leave that up to the folks who are a lot more capable than I am to do that. But I do just want to touch on a few things this morning, and we can only scratch the surface on this topic. But we need to remind ourselves continually to look at the things unseen rather than the things that we see around us and what's coming. And when we think about what the Bible does tell us, and the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details, but it gives us enough between what the Bible does tell us about the next life and what we know about the nature of our God. We can have all the reason in the world to be excited about what is to come. First of all, we're going to live in real resurrected physical bodies. We're not going to float around on clouds with little wings attached to our spirit beings. We are going to walk around 
in bodies such as they are now, but yet imperishable in bodies that can't deteriorate in any way. And the Lord gave us a, a, a preview of that Himself when He was resurrected from the grave. In Luke 24, when He says to His disciples, He, he appeared to them in a room and He said to them, Look at My hands and My feet. It is I, Myself. It's Me, guys. I'm flesh and blood. I'm not a spirit. I'm not an apparition. Thomas, put your hand in My side. Touch My hands. It's Me. And he sat down and he had a meal with them. And I think for probably many folks, that may be the best news of all, that there will be eating in heaven. And I suspect it will be food beyond our wildest dreams, and we'll also be able to eat all we want, and we'll never gain weight, and we'll never get sick. Our bodies will be resurrected just as His were, in ways we can't conceive of now. We'll know each other, but yet... We'll be in imperishable bodies that live forever. What an incredible promise that is. And we're going to a real place. Again, you know, we go to Revelation. And we hear how John attempted to describe what he saw. And I won't be so foolish as to get into the debate about what we should take literally and what we should take figuratively from the book of Revelation. But John attempted to describe a real city that he saw. And he saw the capital city of the new heaven, Jerusalem. And it was a place of overwhelming beauty. And I, I dare say, it would, as beautiful as this little town is here, it would probably make this look like a vile slum in comparison to what the new Jerusalem is going to look like. He, talked to, he did talk about specifics. So he said it was 1,400 miles wide and 1,400 miles long and 1,400 miles high. I would have to think if he gave us those specific measurements there was a reason for that. This is a city then approximately the size of half of the continental United States and just as tall, a fourteen hundred mile cube, if you will, with foundations made of incredible precious stones and gates made of gigantic pearls and streets of gold, and most importantly of all, a river of life from God running through the center of it. What an incredible vision this is and something to be so excited about. You know, I don't think it's any coincidence that the first two books in the Bible and the last two books in the Bible deal with essentially the same topic. In the first two books, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the beautiful heaven and earth, the paradise that He created for us to live in. And we've already covered, we made a big mess of it. But in Revelation 21 and 22, what's He do? He restores the whole thing again. Paradise lost is paradise restored. And there are so many references to this in other places in the Bible. Isaiah 65:17, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. And as Rob read a few minutes ago, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So Paul wrote about how not only we will be resurrected, but creation will be resurrected. Again, paradise lost is paradise restored. In 2 Peter 3.13, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. You know, the Lord didn't use the word earth for no reason. I don't know. None of us know 
whether he is going to take this physical planet that we currently live on and rebuild it after the tribulation, or whether this planet will be completely gone and he'll create a whole new one. He can do whatever he wants, and I don't really care how he does it, but we're going to live on a new earth. And not, so not a place where we so often fear that when we get up into the next life, we're going to feel out of place. We're going to live in a new earth which has all of the beauty of the one that we're used to and all of the ugliness removed. We are going to feel more at home on this new earth than we have ever been able to feel here. I think the, the trees, the flowers, all the beauty that we're used to, we'll see it all around us. There are references in the Bible to animal life being there. God created these amazing creatures. I'm sure they'll be there as well, but probably in different ways. I do want to ask Noah when I get up there if he wasn't at least tempted to leave Mr. and Mrs. Browntail Moth on the shore when the ark left, but I don't know whether God's going to resurrect those guys or not, but I have a feeling He won't. And here's an amazing thing, a world without sin. Can you imagine that? We will live in a world where there is no murder, no rape, no assault, no domestic abuse, no illness, no death, no tears, no pain. Revelation 21.4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. All these things are the byproducts of sin. Sin will no longer exist in the world that we live in. I'll give you one more mental exercise. Think for a second on the biggest burden that you have right now. You probably woke up with it this morning and it was hanging on your heart. Maybe it kept you awake last night. And maybe it's a financial concern. Maybe it's an illness in the family. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Whatever it is, it's dragging you down. Now think for another moment the thought that that burden is lifted. It's gone. It's vanished. It doesn't exist. Not only that burden, but every other one. And if you're like me, you've got a long list of stuff you carry around with you all the time. And as soon as the Lord fixes one of them, we go to number two on the list and we obsess over that, right? All that's going to be gone because sin will be gone. We will live every single day for eternity with none of those burdens. What an incredible promise. And no death. Perhaps one of the greatest blessings. And if you don't mind my sharing something with you right now, I'll tell you that I lost a brother when I was a child. And we were only two years apart. He's my greatest friend in all the world, and I have missed him for 50 some odd years. And I don't think it's any coincidence that the Lord has me standing up here this morning talking about the next life and what was my brother's birthday. And the thought that one of these days I am going to turn around and see him standing behind me and get a big hug from him sends a shiver up my spine when I talk about it. And I have no doubt that every single one of you has a reunion of your own that you're looking forward to just as much as I'm looking forward to that one. What an incredible gift from our God. The last thing I'd like to touch on as it relates to our 
our new existence is the most important one, that Jesus Christ will reign on the new earth. And I don't care what end of the political spectrum you may reside in. I have no doubt you'd agree with me that he's a little bit better alternative than anything we've had to choose from for a long time. Not only in this country, but in every country. Every king will be gone, every dictator, every president, every prime minister, call them what you want. They will all be removed and Jesus Christ will rule bodily on this earth with His apostles. We will see Him physically just as the apostles saw Him 2,000 years ago. Can you imagine a world ruled by Jesus Christ? That, that alone should have us excited when we walk out of here today. And I think that we will be so overcome with His majesty that we won't be able to stop praising Him 24-7 for eternity. So are you homesick? I hope you are. And you know, whether you're visiting with us for the first time or whether you've been attending our church for years, you may be homesick, but you haven't found the way home yet. And I would urge you that if you haven't, please, before you leave here today, come speak to me or Dan or Rich or grab the person next to you and say, I want to hear more. Because the last point that I'd like to make before I close is the time is near, folks. The time is very near where this is all going to come to pass. And I don't mean to join the ranks of the would-be prophets who are going to tell you when Lord's returning. I don't have a clue any more than you do, whether He's coming tomorrow morning or not for a thousand years. But for us, our time here is short. As James says, said in James 4, 14, and 15, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to be saying, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that today or tomorrow. And that's so true because while the Lord has made all these incredible promises that I've only just scratched the surface on this morning, one thing He has not promised us is tomorrow. We don't know if we have tomorrow. None of us do. But you know what? We don't need tomorrow because the Lord's ready for us today. And He is standing right now. Jesus Christ is standing at the station ready to take us home. And He's got a ticket in His hand. And that ticket has your name imprinted on it. And He signed it. And it says, one-way ticket to paradise. And if you flip it over, it says, irrevocable. Cannot be lost or stolen. Once you have this ticket in your hand, you can't ever lose it. And it's the easiest thing in the world to get because you can't earn it, you can't buy it. He's standing there holding it out and all you have to do is reach up your hand and grab it and say, thank you, Lord. I can't do this on my own. Thank you for saving That's all any of us have to do. So please don't miss that opportunity because you don't know if there's another train coming. Please pray with me. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your amazing promises for us, Lord. And thank You, Lord, that we know that Your promises can never be broken. I don't know if promise is a strong enough word, Lord. Perhaps ironclad guarantee is a better way of putting it. Because as we know, once we have this ticket, Lord, we're going to be with You 
tomorrow, the next day, whenever it is, but we will spend eternity with you in this incredible paradise that you are creating for us right now. Thank you, Lord, for these blessings, for all the blessings you've given us down here. We know, Lord, as long as we are here, though, we have work to do. We pray that you will guide our actions, that your light would reflect off of us every day of our lives here on this earth, Lord. We all long to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, when we finally look you in the eye. We praise you, Lord. We pray it in the name, your name, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.